This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 67. This episode features Alia Lanius. She's the author of a new book called Jugend. She is visiting New York for BookCon, which is happening this weekend. She's doing an autograph session tomorrow, Saturday, June 1st at 1230. Um, BookCon is at the Javits Center here in New York City in Manhattan. Go check her out. Um, Check out her new book. I started doing this podcast about a year ago um, to promote other artists' ideas to elevate voices in my community, that's uh, the Bushwick community, but the artist community, international. So here, here in Bushwick, here in New York City, um, but really the voice of the independent artist um, from anywhere in the world. Uh, So I've said it before and I'll say it again. uh, If you are interested in coming on this podcast, please reach out. I was really happy to hear from Angela, Alia's publicist. Um, She hit me up a few weeks ago, a month ago, that Alia was coming out here for BookCon and to release her book, Jugend. Um, And for me, I really love having these conversations. It's really been good for me to meet and talk with these amazing people, and Alia was one of them. It was a real pleasure talking to her. She is also a three-time cancer survivor. Jugend is actually her second book. And Jugend actually means youth in German. So you might get what this is kind of about, this book. Uh, Part of it takes place in 1937 Germany. And the other uh, takes place now. And it has to do with people spying on each other. It has to do with changing times in the country. Uh, through the lens of youth experiencing it at that time. I had a really great conversation with her. We talked about a lot of different things, and I'm sure we could talk about a lot more. Um, So I'll have to have her on again. Uh, She's also doing something called EmpowerCon, which is happening on August 31st in Los Angeles at the convention center there. So if you're in the L.A. area, check that out. But without further ado, this was a really good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So here is Alia Lanius. Let's have a conversation. My husband, when we were dating and he introduced his last name, he said, like, like miscellaneous, Lanius. And then when we got married, I was like, yo, I'm actually Mrs. Lanius now. <laughs> so he's like, oh, yeah, now you are. <laughs> so, yeah, that's usually how I get people to remember my last name. <laughs> nice. Um, so welcome. Good to have you here. Good to be here. How uh, you flew in, you arrived this morning? Yes, I did. I took the red eye out of LAX and arrived, you know, fresh and bright, of course, this morning in New York. And so awesome to be here. I love this city. So much life, so much culture. It's just beautiful to be back here. What airport did you fly into? I flew into Newark, which was recently named number one worst airport in the country. (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. Um, Yeah, it's weird. It's, I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I, I guess it depends. I've had um, fine experiences. I've also had experiences that were, I mean, what, were painful. What really, honestly, I feel like, and I've been to many airports, they're all the same. They're all a headache. They're all, 
you know, it's always just that whole travel moment that's got you going. So anyway, to me, I, I didn't even understand how they ranked it. I don't know what they ranked it by. I didn't have any problems when I flew in today. So got my bags and headed off. <laughs> how did you come from New York to Manhattan? That I think is the one thing about Newark is, is I don't think it's convenient to get tour from, from anybody in New York sure. or anybody in New Jersey for that matter. It's kind of, yeah, it's a tricky yeah. airport to, I mean, to I just access. took an Uber Yeah, and that was the easiest. And actually I slept the <laughs> hour drive that it took just to get into Manhattan. So, yeah. you know, I, uh, hope I, I just hope I didn't drool on his seat or anything like that. Cause that would be embarrassing. But for the most part, yeah, I just didn't, you know, he was like, okay, it's time to get out late now, lady, you have to get out of the car. And I'm like, Oh, I'm here. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> And you're here specifically this time. I know you love the city, um, but you're here for book book con book con. Yes. Um, so I was here last year and I didn't get to do, I had released my first novel last year and I came out. That was called know, tough love. That was right? tough love. Yeah. And uh, biographical fiction based on my life. And uh, so I was there, but I was kind of like doing the groundwork, checking it out, seeing what it's about. And then this year I'm actually coming back doing an autograph signing at the height of the convention on Saturday from 1230 to 130. And anyone who comes in, uh, gets a free copy of my book signed by me and, you know, hopefully get to connect and, and get to know a little bit about me as the author and as the artist behind this message. And then also just really getting this book out there and getting it in front of, you know, more people's eyes. And what inspired you to write this book um, and also to start writing in the first place? I, I've always been a writer. I've always been a person who, you know, a read, loved to read, reading, you know, alternate worlds that created were, you know, alive in my mind is something that I've always had. And I knew that for a very long time that I wanted to write. I just didn't know exactly what part of my life I was going to write about, you know, and of course, I think like a lot of people, you tend to say to yourself, well, is anyone really going to want to read my story? Who's going to care? And how do I put this out in a way that people want to read it, right? So I, um, I, you know, I took on that journey and, and I'm an independent. I self-published through my media company. So I uh, did that and then that was inspired by my own life and, you know, a message. There's always a message within my books. So then came to write this one. And what inspired me was really my children, my own perspective. I grew up uh, in Napa, California. I'm half white and then I'm half Middle Eastern. And I have this very diverse background and I grew up on the white side of the fence, so I knew what that was like. I'd never experienced racism or anything like that until I actually converted to Islam in my young 20s. Then suddenly I was on the opposite end of people who I'm like, wait, you know. I thought everything was cool. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to be the same, but now I'm different to you, so now I'm like on the other side. So I, I, I saw my children, you know, I, I'm a mother of four, my oldest being 22, and through each and every single one of their lives, I've seen what growing up in this country as something different means. Uh, that took me back to, you know, I've always kind of been part German. I'm very obsessed with World War II, Hitler, how did it happen? How could people just stand on the sidelines? How could this happen, you know, in modern times, at least to some degree? And I wanted to show this message to be very like, okay, these two things happened a hundred, nearly a hundred years apart, but yet still the same things are happening. Yeah. And instead of getting on Facebook and fighting with everybody, this was my message. This is my counterplay that, you know, read this story, 
and, and let's talk about some of these issues that we have going on within our society today. And so that's what caused me to write it. And, you know, now I'm out here just promoting it and, and hoping that people get the message, you know, so. And if someone's like, well, what's the message? The message is, you know, this is about humanity, not about what race, what color, what religion. You know, this is this this all goes deeper. And when religion in general separates us, we really need to take a look at that. You know, and as much as I love what faith is about, I see, you know, I think something about growing older, you just start to see things so differently, so clearly. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on, you know. And uh, and that's interesting because where, where religion often tells us, it says, don't question it. You know, don't go there, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, because it leads to confusion. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not very confused. I'm quite clear, you know. So, yeah. So that's what's got me here in New York. And it's just it's good to be back. And it's good to be doing this book signing and leveling up, you know, my whole artist and, and doing what I'm trying to do with these books, which is put out a positive message along with the cool story, you know. And um, I've started reading this. Um, and so I'm probably a few chapters in um, the central characters are Ernst. And the other one's Carl, is Clark, that right? Clark. Clark. Yes. Um, and I think I have a friend actually, uh, I'm part of a theater company, and he he wrote one play where he brought in different scenes, but what was really cool about the first thing I read of it was these guys, they're these soldiers, and they're sitting there talking about the other side, and then they question whether what they're doing is right or like what if they're on the wrong side of history sure and um as it goes along it becomes pretty clear that these guys were nazis right um and why that type of story and that's what your story is kind of dealing with uh ernst is a young hitler youth and that's what the title is right yeah um, yes jugend jugend yeah. um and then there's a modern counterpart who's like a white nationalist um and both of them are basically infiltrating one's infiltrating uh british and then the others in, in, infiltrating a modern like muslim american family um and like i'm curious to see where it goes but one of the things that i think is very important is i do think that there are people in our world who are doing who are on the wrong side of, of history and are like to me, there are some clear things where some people are in the wrong, from my opinion, anyway. Um, I, I think objectively, though, also some people are are on the wrong side of history. Um, but that said, um, I think it's important to not forget that these were humans that that did this, so that people that do these things that get caught up in these, like the wrong, the wrong, just people that get caught up in. Um, nationalism like that's a big thing um that's a big thing happening of course right now um that they were actual people they're not monsters like they can become monsters but they're actually people that became monsters not not something out of a fairy tale you know they were real well that's why so you know yes this story is based on two 14 year old boys and I chose that age group for many reasons. It's it's, it's a time of um, many changes within us. It's a time when we should be being kids and we really shouldn't be being brought into a lot of the political stuff. And you kind of see that happening now. You see more kids attacking other kids, bullying other kids with politi- political rhetoric that we would have never, you know, really done when we were younger. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm 44, so it's like, or I'm almost 44, and it's like that's... That's just, I mean, you picked on somebody, you said your mama was fat, or you said things, you called your mama, you did the, your mama jokes, but you did not, 
you know, Bush is going to come, or not Bush. I'm sorry. I have to go way back. Well, yeah, <laughs> we I, I remember back that. Reagan, you know, Reagan's yeah. going to come lock you up. Nobody, you know, we weren't hollering that in school. So I, I really, oh, so, and then also it is actually based on some true history. So there's a couple things that are actual historical events, which is a, yes, a group of teenage boys, 14 year old boys were sent to London in the 19, in 1937 to spy on behalf of the Nazis. And, and people were like, well, why would they send boys? Why wouldn't? And it's like, well, this was before satellite. This was before, you know, recon was boots on the ground. And, you know, so they sent these boys to draw and map out important key targets because eventually, yes, Hitler and his regime had the, you know, desire to take over Brooklyn, uh, Europe. Also in the story is an event, uh, a charity event that has some significant names, including one particular speaker who, uh, whose name was Paul Robeson. He is a mm -hmm. historical figure. And he spoke at this event. That actually happened. And they were telling everybody, listen, you know, no time to put your head in the sand. This is, this is, there's, you know, what's knocking on Europe's door is fascism. Let's, you know, not, let, not painting it any other way but the truth. And, I feel that if anything, you have a lot of people who wonder, are we in that 1937, 39 range? You know, where are we, if if at all, on the cusp of another world war, you know, or another horrible war, at, you know, how close are we to that? And, you know, you look back historically, and that's why I love about, I'm, you know, obsessed with history, so which is why I chose a historical fiction, is because we should be looking back and learning because we can say, okay, well, this kind of happened, and then these things led to this, and then that happened. We don't want that to happen again. It's ironic that nationalism is definitely peaking. That this is not just an American issue. This is a global issue. Yeah. The one place it's not, Germany. It's like, no, no, no. You know, fooled me once, <laughs> shame on me. Fooled me twice. No, no, no. We're not doing that. We're not going down that road. They've got the T-shirt, you know, and the book. They they're just not doing it. So I applaud them for that, and I feel very disheartened when I see it. You want to know when I got my first package of books, Alec? I was literally opening the box, and as I was opening it, my phone starts going off. And the alerts of what happened in New Zealand is is what CNN is, you know, alerting my phone. And I'm like, and I'm opening this box, and when you re finish reading this book, you understand why I say it, it just, it, it was very, very, ironic it was very you know emotional for me because it's like every reason that I've written this book is to help other people come together you know I get it not a lot of white people know what goes on or for people people in general I think don't know what happens inside of a Muslim family's home right and there's these like I don't know what they figure in their head but I've seen women just not talk to a Muslim woman because she has a hijab on her head if you went over to her, she'd probably invite you over for coffee. You'd have the best conversation, but you just your fear allows you to miss out on that opportunity. You know that makes me think of because, uh, like the with the nationalist thing, and this is there are obvious parallels um, to uh, ego megalomaniac leader that uh, rose up in Germany to a certain leader right now who. Uh, is in the news a lot. Right. I don't need to say his name. Um, right. <laughs> but um, hold on, wait. I was trying to figure out who you were talking right? about. <laughs> um, but like the whole thing with like the like post nine eleven, that was like one of the saddest things that I saw happen for the first time was um, it. So the one thing that was th the silver lining of it was that I think for the first time the Arab and like black communities started to come together sure. because 
there was much more like, Oh, I get it now because right after nine 11, there was some like Islamophobia or I call it like Muslim races. Like, um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was super disappointing after nine 11 because for me, when that happened, I was like, you know, there are events and we're like the U S also like with like, it wasn't drone strikes back then, but like we're in other places responsible for innocent people like experiencing warfare all the time. And, um, so this happens everywhere The it hadn't happened in the U S and I was like the first time it happened and people lost their lives and it's a, it's a tragedy. But like, I hope that maybe people would see, Oh, this is what it feels like when innocent people lose their lives. And maybe we should think about, think about like why we're going to war in all these places oh, for, um, sure. for, for resources usually. Oh, it's um, power privilege and, uh, you know, at, at prestige basically. I mean, it's, those are those things that drive those people to do those things. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad to see how, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that Arabs kind of had, you know, whatever joking reputation, but I mean, they, 9-11 really put a target on them mm-hmm. and it, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't lie. Like I do have a lot, you know, my black friends. I'm like, yeah, I know, I, I get it. You know, like I get it. I, I not only, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more honest now about the things that I know, and I don't just put it on white people per se. I think that, I mean, across the board, you know, the black community, unfortunately, being honest and being candid. I don't know why every other civilization seems to think that they're better than them. And it's like very odd to me, you know, well, you don't get so much that feeling in Europe, but like, you know, you go to China or you go to certain places where they're just not used to black communities and they just, for some reason seem to look down on them. And, you know, to me as a, you know, fellow Brown person, you know, still I'm like, well, wait a minute, we've got the pyramids. We've, you know, Latin America has, you know, pyramids. We have things that we cannot explain as far as Greece, you know, Mediterranean, all the brown areas have a lot of the stuff we can't even explain today. Britain has Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Bravo, bravo. I mean, you know, no offense, but it's like, we we just need to, you know, that whole looking down on our, our feeling, you know, I remember the first time I got on a plane after 9-11, you know, I took my Quran intentionally, not because I was actually trying to inflame anyone, but because I wanted someone to ask me a question, you know, get my side of the story. And so that's in a lot of sense what I put into my book is the other side of the story. The other side of the story is if you come over to my house, you're probably going to be watching me barbecue some chicken, you know, having the NFL, you know, whatever game, basketball, finals, cheering for the Lakers, of course. <laughs> yeah. And hey, I like, hey, I'm from Seattle. Um, I, I've been a Lakers fan, too. I had to throw um, that in there. <laughs> uh, I saw well, Kareem, no, wait, the Warriors. I saw Kareem. Warriors because I'm Bay Area. I'm torn. I like, I like the Warriors, too. I don't have a team right now, so I, I keep it on the West Coast and the trailblazers they are too close for comfort people are like are you rooting for them i'm like hell no <laughs> no 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 skip Good. over them california yeah um uh yeah that reminds me though too like both me and my brother my cuz we're biracial too we're black and white um and people were like my parents were kind of pretty concerned and i was <laughs> we were also aware and are always aware like and it depends on how our hair is my brother's hair is a lot more uh, straight. Mm-hmm. So he's a lot more, um, ambiguous than me. Right. But still like me, especially if I have like short hair, people just see a brown dude and they're just like, I don't know. Right. I don't know what this guy is. Um, and that's, I'm sure you've grown up with that too. It's like, 
not, um, my wife's from Amsterdam and I experienced this recently. I've been there a bunch of times. Um, but this time, cause I've been there so many times I was more acutely aware uh-huh. of just like, what would my experience be? And my experience was every room that I go into, there's a sizing up. So it's not like we think you're bad or this, but it's like people trying to figure out what you are before they engage with you as if it's going to determine who I am. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and in Amsterdam too, it's such a, you have a lot of Arabs there. You have a lot of everything. I love Amsterdam. Great city. Um, But I, but okay. But the thing is about that, like, that's just the thing. You look at someone now and you also make this assumption. So I went down, heard the best joke ever about brown people. White people are lucky because they, anywhere that they go, if you're white, you're white, right? But a brown person, if you go to California, you're Mexican. If you go to Florida, you're Puerto Rican. If you come to New York, you you know, you could be, you could be Dominican. You know, it's just, you, you change based on what people assume and the problem with that is that people don't often flip it to the other side like I have a daughter you know I have three daughters and one son and one of my daughters with blonde hair blue eyes I actually kind of used her description in the book to point out that yet she is she's 50 she's 40 so sorry 75 percent Arab and she got my 25 percent looks right. like my grandfather you know from the German side but she is very Arab and she and she's very proud of her culture but yet she's gone in you know she goes to a, a she goes to a martial arts school in, in Inglewood so hey she's nice usually, what kind of martial arts she does it's a uh, it's uh, karate judo it's a Hawaiian style and it and they Kempo. do and it's got Kempo in there that's why it's called something like that and, and it has boxing too boxing nice. as well so it's got all these little that's why I just call it martial arts because yeah. it's not actually one that he picks and uh, so all of her classmates in there they're all black I, and it was really cool I, when I saw her get her belt test she was getting like they they go real they're like yeah. listen if you get attacked by somebody they're not going to be nice to you so they really these are kids but they're they're like we're not trying to hurt your kids but we do challenge them so my daughter though you know she, she did have to explain to the girls they just thought she was a white girl they were just passing her off as a white girl and she's like um i'm palestinian you know i'm yeah. i'm lebanese i'm this i'm i'm not just that and then they were surprised so i find that like it goes both ways and just we have to realize that nowadays you really can't tell where someone is from and yeah. i do tell myself a lot like honestly and i'm not saying this to sound all hokey pokey it's not true but i mean i do feel also at this point in my genealogy i'm kind of just a little bit of everything you know probably you go and wait okay i'm gonna pick like 12 percent french and 10 percent greek and you know i mean what the heck let's how am i gonna how am I going to pick all of those? But I think that we should still embrace all of those cultures. And that's the problem. People are just trying to pick like, you know, yeah. like the it's, minimum. It's interesting though. Cause I have, um, I've started referring to myself as a biracial black man or just a black, like a black dude because, but it's like, I'm not denying the other things also. It's just what my experience in this country is. Sure. And that was something my dad was clear about when I was like very young and I didn't really like it when he said it but um yeah it was something that was made like my first thing was my dad and mom sitting next to each other my dad said he was black my mom said she was white and I said I'm brown and my dad (laughs) was like no you're black and I was like no you're black I'm brown right right he was like no like it's not the like the tone of your skin it's like what the world is gonna see you right right um and so I didn't understand that and like but it was I was, I remember it as being, I was like four years old. Um, and it's something that like stuck with me the whole time growing up. Um, 
I wanted to come back to something though. Um, so we were talking about fear of like the unknown. Cause that's what it really is. Like people who, um, don't know what a Muslim American family's like. Um, and what I was, I went on a tangent about it, but about right now, um, the whole stuff that the current president has been doing with like Mexico mm-hmm. and stirring up like this border crisis, so-called. Um, but the thing about the border crisis one is it's not a thing. That's number one. But two, um, it's not a thing in the border towns. If you go to every border town, sure. the people there, and I'm talking the white residents, everybody, they're like, there's not a crime issue here. The people who have the biggest issue with the border crisis are people nowhere near, near the, the border, border or nowhere near Mexicans a lot of times. Right. They're in like a very uh, isolated community. Sure. And so their fear is actually of a threat that they're not actually experiencing and that they don't actually know. I think it has that. And then I'm being, being very aware of also the civil war that took place in Lebanon. That's actually why my dad uh, ended up in this country. Um, is that, so in Lebanon there, what caused the civil war was you had a country that was predominantly Christian and they wanted to remain so. And then when Palestine was no longer Palestine, you have Palestinians, refugees, and they said, fine, we'll take them in. We know that majority, because there are Christian um, Palestinians as well, but majority of these refugees were Muslim. So the deal was, you, it's got to be one to five. One Muslim to every five Christians. That way they did, felt they weren't losing their identity as a country. Um, and the reality is that quickly changed, and when it started to, that's when you started to see this, you know, obviously strife and this fear and this oh we're gonna lose ourselves and that is what led to a 15-year civil war in Lebanon I didn't even know about that civil yeah war. it's 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 um so the the um sorry <laughs> I got totally when I said uh, okay so you have now where you've got these people believing now I, I'm gonna say this I do believe I mean not on the magnitude that of course and well he's capitalizing on it but look there is a real crisis in Central America and I do think that to some extent people are running for their lives they're but they're running for a purpose they're not right. coming to this rhetoric that the rhetoric is that they're coming to this country to you know take us down and start you know and take your job and and take everything that you have is your American dream. And to me, I just feel that's completely hypocritical as a nation who was built on immigration. You know, I mean, we are the, are my, my great, 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 great son had a dream and a hope that he was going to come to America and have a better life. And why would we think that we deserve that and someone else doesn't? Well, and also like the, there are jobs going, but it's because of uh, technology more. Sure. Um, and like most, and so the fear is like people coming and taking all the jobs Um, and the thing is a lot of first generation, um, immigrants do the jobs that most other people don't want to do. Sure. I actually own, I used to own several retail stores in LA and San Francisco. I've been a business owner since I was 25. And when I would put out a help wanted ad, let me tell you who mostly responded and especially in LA. Yes, they were on, you know, or, or young Latin people. Not all of them were, um, not, you know, not, uh, documented workers, but they were all, um, hardworking. We're trying to, you know, and well, then, that's like you the said, thing with, and also with like second generation, that's the other thing. And that is a real thing. And that's like second generation people tend to, because they saw their parents work so hard, their parents like instill a lot of times, like I had classmates, just a better 
people have a better understanding of like work and discipline and why. Right. Um, And I think that's like what's missing, you know, it's, 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 it's something about, you know what, growing up in this country, truly being allowed to have a shot at the opportunity that everybody else wants. Yeah. And I cannot lie. And I do not say this as in a a patronizing or in anything other than a truly genuine feel. And when we talk about diversity, you know, step one, stop looking at somebody as if they're different, they're not as good as you or that they don't, you know, deserve that, that they're not a human being. And I have often said, you know, I could have, I could have been born in Uganda. I could have been born outside of the U S but that to me as a person who's also traveled the world is a very funny conversation because I'm sure if I was born in Spain, I wouldn't wake up and say, oh my gosh, I wish I was born in America. I, I don't think that people, I, there's just so many beautiful countries. Are they, do they have gold toilets? No, but you know, that doesn't mean that they're not beautiful in their culture and what they, what they have and what they are and who they are. And so I kind of, I get really mad at this like idea of like, Oh, you know, America is the best country in the world. The word best is subjective. You know what I mean? Like bottom line, it is a subjective word. It's a stupid word in that way. (laughs) Like, like it, it is because, um, like in writing, like we were talking about, like um, I do some acting too and like different things. Uh, but like, w- let's take acting for a second because um, I'm going to play right now. And like the there's some I'm one of the like I'm going to be 38 this summer. There's some people that are like 22. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's one other woman. She's older than me. I don't know how old she is, um, but I'm old enough to where I like have been around and like know some things. So some advice I can pass on to like the younger castmates, like one just went through a bunch of callbacks and didn't get the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to understand sometimes when you're younger, like it best is good. Like you be your best. Right. Um, And that can mean that you are the best in the world at this thing. But what you have to understand is there's never one best in the world. Like there's other people. So if it's sports or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then the way you can extend that is like uh, LeBron James to me, like, or or a Muhammad Ali, like LeBron James, I wasn't a fan of for a long time. Going back to the Lakers, um, I liked Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. So for the longest time, you couldn't really be both. But over the years... LeBron James has made me a fan because mm-hmm. he's just his discipline. Mm-hmm. It's it's he's born with these natural gifts and like, you know, grew up with that. But then from the time he's been in the NBA, he's just been working so hard. Yeah. Um Steph Curry also works super hard, but uh LeBron so that like as a player, it's just it's just undeniable um his greatness. But then what he's doing with his platform outside. Exactly. Um he's actually doing something. So to me, that's where it gets into the Muhammad Ali thing where it's like totally. you're doing something with it. Exactly. It's bigger than just the game. Um but so like with the best thing, it's like two people can be the best for the role. Um, but one person gets it because they cast this other person in this other role. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person fits the the rest of the picture that they cast. Sure. It's not, and maybe even the other person was best. If they were building the whole movie or play around this other person, um, they would be the best, like if it was just about them. But right. like there's all these other factors. Um, and so, yeah, keep focused on 
you and what you're yeah. doing and like yeah be the best but like it's not about being better than anybody else exactly no you know it's funny i when i when i wrote this book and when i when i wrote this when i said okay when i'm done when i'm done i'll have it ready and i'll pitch it before i publish it but the way that i am i ended up finishing it and i said ah, i don't need to wait for a publisher if you know if a publisher comes along later on that's fine i'm not worried about it i'm moving forward i'm not waiting around for someone else to you know dictate to me what i can and cannot do i want to get this message out and it was urgent to me there's a sense of urgency mm -hmm. you know um, that is my artistry i'm an artist that's how i have to get it out in and, and it's funny because a lot of, even when I was writing it, I'd say, oh, I have this deadline. They're like, well, who's giving you your deadline? I'm like, I'm giving myself yeah. my deadline. Like this, I don't need someone else to tell me how to do it. I just push and I, and I go. And where, you know, I know that authors aspire to have their, you know, New York Times bestseller, this, that, and the other. To be honest, it's like, that's not what it's about for me. Of course, for a business sense, it's great if it happens, you know, but I'm not sitting here, um, allowing that to validate me mm -hmm. or validate what I'm doing with the book or, or, you know, it just, it doesn't dictate. And the other thing too, like, you know, people don't understand that oftentimes no, to me, I don't take no as definite. I take it as a not now. You know, if I reach out to a bookstore and they're like, oh, we don't, we're too busy. We can't have you. Okay, that's cool. Well, that just to me is not now. I'll check back with you later. Like you don't give up on what you're doing. And that is one thing I love about athletes. I'm like you with LeBron. When I first, when I first heard about him, or I mean, not heard about him, of course, started watching him play. I was like, oh, he's cocky. You know, I was doing the whole bandwagon, like, oh, he's probably a jerk. No, no, no. And then, and then I see exactly what he's doing with this platform now. And I'm like, man, you know what? That, that is so amazing. And I love Muhammad Ali. I talk about him. Actually, it was funny. Uh, I just got done watching the documentary that they had on him. I haven't him. seen it yet. I'm oh, going to. It's really to. good. It's really, yeah. it's good. I mean, I actually took my kids on my, on my Instagram. I went to the exhibit in LA and took my kids and just, you know, being a person who happens to be Muslim and, and seeing what he stood up for and how he stood and how he took all the criticism i have a lot of respect for that and uh i mean he took both being muslim and then being black mm -hmm. like that just i mean you know hands up that definitely greatest of all time in that sense and i wanted my kids to understand that history as well so you know i mean athletes have much like artists get told no a lot or are underestimated a lot you know i mean you and you live with this kind of like you know that your moment is now and every single moment that you're wasting is a moment you've now already lost so you know as a three-time cancer survivor something i'm known to tell people a lot of is you know i don't waste time that other people amazing people wish that they had and what i'm referring to are that you know the amazing people that i was friends with that they passed away and Whereas they would love to be going on vacation right now or having the opportunity to, to write a book. So when people come to me and, you know, I, so I, and as they have, and I told, shared with you, I'm doing an event in Los Angeles, um, August 31st at the Los Angeles Convention Center. It's called EmpowerCon. And I'm all about getting people to, you know, this particular one is themed on ask admit or excuse me admit ask adjust so let's admit the issues that we have to deal with in life let's ask how we can you know move so we have a panel where you know you're asking those questions we want the audience to be engaged and then the last part is um an adjustment so it's teaching people how to adjust that life how do we you know change the trajectory of our course so that we can be more positive in our life and ultimately i also think that when we talk about what's happening within our world it does need more positivity yeah you know 
you can't, you know, I'm a strong person and I tend to say what I need to say to someone. I don't feel like I owe them anything other than the truth. And I you know, that's why everything I do is unsugarcoated. My company is unsugarcoated mm-hmm. media. I'm not sugarcoating it. Like you said, age teaches you something. And let's just not waste time on BS. Let's be honest. Let's be clear. Let's be truthful, but yet be kind in it, you know, and then let's also accept it. Like if someone tells me, you know, Alia, you're kind of having an attitude right now. Then instead of being like, I don't have an attitude, you have an attitude. Like, I mean, I want to be the person who says, okay, do I have an attitude right now? How am I making someone else feel? Mm-hmm. Is this, am I, am I, you know, what day of the month is it? And do I need to eat? Do I need a Snickers? What is it? Because people hear something and then automatically receive negative. And sometimes I feel like that's just the universe giving us that little check and balance too sometimes. Right. I mean, you know, so anyway, I mean, I'm just excited because ultimately the next three books that I have that are coming out, they also have messages, positive intended to talk about humanity and you know, just good things. But this book will surprise you at the end. It's not what you think. Nice. (laughs) Just so you know. Um, Do you want to give any preview on upcoming things or like what the next one's going to be? So, it, this one, that one's going to be a little bit more sci-fi fantasy. Nice. That's, uh, I, I like sci-fi. It's I definitely, like yeah, we're going to be talking. I mean, you know, I will say that the theme is Mother Earth and how mm-hmm. we are connected. I don't know how people don't get it. Like, look, I, I whether you think this or that is happening and what who caused it or what, I, I feel that we, like, we're leaves on a tree. As human beings, we are leaves on a tree and the earth is the root. If we don't have her... We don't have much. Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited because um, when I was in Cannes recently, I was kind of sharing the idea and, and to some of my producer friends, you know, film. If a film person loves it, then I'm like, yeah, I have to write it out. <laughs> you know, like that's uh, that's it. So I'm excited because it, it's going to have a, but it's going to have um, more of an Indiana Jones twist to it. So nice. that'd be cool too. Like, yeah. It's frustrating how some people don't seem to understand that a healthy planet is like Essential. that we can't <laughs> exist without one. Like it's, I know. Like I tell people, I'm like, you can't just up and say, you know what? I'm not going to drink water and I'm not going to eat food anymore. That's it. Earth. I don't need you. No, you will die. That's why I say we're leaves on a tree. If we, if we don't have that, we die. So that makes me think that the earth is a little bit more valuable. And I know we like to hope that we're going to have spaceships taking us off to Mars and our future existence. But I mean, no, no, <laughs> not no. anytime soon. I was talking to somebody about that, like with how serious, like the timelines getting and stuff. Like if it's, there's different estimates, like, but some things are like within the next hundred years and that's like a moderate ex, like a moderate expectation or whatever. Um, that with what we have right now, there might be some spaceships, but they're not going to make it to Mars. Um, and, yeah, like we could maybe put up a space station, but the space station technology that I'm, you know, maybe I'm wrong, and I'm sure there's more advanced things than we as the public know, but it seems from what I've read, um, the space stations that we're capable of like creating right now, they need the earth. They're not self-sufficient. They'd be fine for a while, but then... Sure. Those won't, those aren't going to last 50 years without like replenishments from. Exactly. You need, we need natural resources. Yeah. And uh, no, and it, even like uh, the space station, the 
space outside of Earth's atmosphere is very volatile. And even um, people are like, oh, we're going to build a moon, a moon station. Well, that's the, the most sensible thing in some degree. However, because it only takes a week by ship, a rocket ship to get to the moon. But it um, is constantly plummeted by yeah. asteroids. And it's constant. And there's only one place at the very top that maybe we could put something. But like, I mean, okay, this, the, the moon is quite small, <laughs> like in comparison to our size and earth. Like, it's just if you if we want humanity to continue to exist, I'm not trying to get preachy on it. I know how people get all sensitive, but I'm not trying to be. I'm just say I want I want to live a good life. I don't want my. I don't want to walk outside and feel like I'm choking on smog all the time. I want, you know, I get upset when we have energy issues that like when in California, one of the gas, the um, gases was leaking in the air for six months. The, uh, what was it? The Did you hear ethanol? what they're calling what the, I forget which department has rebranded fossil fuels as? No. Yeah. This is like yesterday. This might've happened and I have to read into this, but I've seen it a couple of times now and I just... <laughs> Got frustrated by the headline. Right. Um, I hope this is like, was picked up and I hope this was an Onion article, but everybody that posted was like, yeah, not the Onion. Um, Freedom molecules. Rebranding fossil fuels as freedom molecules. It's, uh, mm. We're just renaming every, It sounds like my son If he says I'm just going to call it this That's what I call it I'm like just because you call it that Doesn't, doesn't make it so it yeah. <laughs> You know you can't You can't do that uh, So you know um, Yeah I, I definitely Have I have a desire to talk about Some of those issues within the books And create storylines that make it both And I, you know what I'm not, not alone in that right now If you look at the Marvel movies and if you look at things, you see there's a message. You know, I find it I find it very honorable that I can work in an you know and and I feel part of an industry, especially associated with my husband. I know the listeners don't know, but my husband he is an executive producer and film attorney who has his firm in LA. So he's worked on great projects. Um, He's worked with talent such as Keanu Reeves, Lily Collins, Samuel Jackson, you know, uh, Zac Efron, Robert De Niro. Um, Just really great talent but I mean the film industry itself is definitely you're seeing the shift yeah and uh and I, I like it I like it because I feel we need it if you can entertain and infuse somebody with something positive at this simultaneously that's that's true artistry to me because it should inspire you to do something and I think it's really cool um like self-publishing books um also with like movies and web series and stuff like that I feel like there's um, it's, as you know, it's hard work to do that, but, um, there are a lot more channels for lack of a better term, a lot more outlets, um, for individual artists to get their voice out there. Right. Um, and, oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and, and I do think it, like it pays off eventually, especially if you play the long game, yeah, like you right. create good, just keep creating good work. That's exactly um, what it's about. Yeah. In anything, just the long game. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, you had said something that I was going to touch on. Shoot, uh, and I forgot it. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. Um, I try to be pretty positive about things, also, and I'm glad to be sitting here having this conversation with you because you mentioned earlier, actually, um, about writing books instead of getting into it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And when I started the podcast, I was like, "This is how I'm going to." get some of my political social thoughts out because it's different when you have a conversation than when you 
put things online and have a back and forth online because you can't hear tone. Um, And body language. And yeah. And just something gets disconnected. Like, you know what I mean? It's not a conversation. No, it's totally actually. So, I mean, I admire anyone who has a podcast and I love doing them because it's just really good to sit down and have these conversations. Right. And I do them all over the world and it's such an amazing opportunity. But um, like I, have a really um, talented intern right now that we discussed maybe doing a podcast. He's actually yeah. a media major at USC, and I'm very very proud of him. Uh, young black man who's just doing his thing. I I just I ha- I I adore his ability to sit down and talk about things that he does at his age and level and, and just um, it's incredible. So, anyways, I was like, man, you and I should do a podcast. The, you know, and so he was like, why? Don't, I think you'd be a very good blogger. And I said, I don't blog, and. I know that sounds weird because I, of course, love writing, but that's just it for me. Blogs are a little bit too concise for mm-hmm. what I want to say. And I said in my books, I'm giving a story. And ultimately, some of these are, are intended to maybe be made into a movie or, you know, obviously we, we do shop it out there being in film. But um, the thing is, is that I told him, I said, listen, this is what scares me about blogging for me personally. If I can't get the full story, if I, if I can't at least give more of my imagery, it's hard because communication is made up of those three things. The words themselves, the tone in which you say it, and the body language that you're using. Without two of those, I said, I don't want what I'm trying to say to be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. It's too easy. Yeah. You know? So, because someone can criticize the way that I've written this book if I didn't do it to their standards or something. Although this book is meant to be anywhere from the YA all the way up to an adult. An adult should read this and definitely kids could read it. I love the feedback from people who have independently reviewed it. Like, kids need to read this. I'm like, yes, and definitely some adults. But, I mean, ultimately, it's like I, if you read it to the end, no matter on how you think I should have or put this you understand that there's a story here. There's a message here. And it's very clear by the end of it, you know? So I'm proud of that. And I stand by that. And, uh, you know, that's that's just what I want to be able to keep doing it. And I, when, speaking of Amsterdam, one of my most amazing experiences, I have a few of them, uh, but one of them specifically in Amsterdam, I went to the Van Gogh Museum. Yeah, I was there for the first time. Oh, last my trip. God. And did you do the headphone thing? Yes. Okay, so see, you yes. have to do it that way. Yeah. Anybody who ever goes to that museum, you have to do it. And so you might remember, I love the story when he did his first, you know, any of the, the, the people around the table, the peasants yep. eating, yep. and then how he sent it off to his mentor he'd worked so hard in it and he sent it off to his mentor and his mentor wrote back saying you must be joking and as an artist as a person getting ready to put my books out there into the world when I went there I was so um, inspired by the fact that he didn't just stop and say oh, okay well if he said it we talked about validation and all this stuff you know going out and getting you be your best he was not beholden to his idea okay I sent it to you you critiqued it that's your thoughts good. Okay, thanks. I'm going to keep doing it. And then I also admired his transition, his improvement. So I feel like as a writer, I've done that. Like my first book or my second book, like you see my growth as a writer and, you know, I want to encourage, you know, keep doing that, keep upping my level and, you know, upping my game. Um, but I loved even how, you know, towards the end, like when they showed the images that he wrote when he was in the hospital and how there were bars in front of him, but yet you don't see the bars. And he's still, he's looking past that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's just so much depth in what he, in his life and how this whole progression, I mean, I just, it's one of my most amazing experiences in life. I can't lie. Yeah. <laughs> I loved going there. No, I, I was feeling like Van Gogh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kindred spirit. Like just get it. Like the, the heart, the artist's heart, you know, the open 
rebel, um, unique way of viewing the world, um, misunderstood sometimes, but still yeah. putting it out there. Oh know? yeah. And then using science, science and technology, you know how he used the little colors, the alternating colors that you wouldn't, yeah. you know, I mean, I just, I definitely, his story, um, you know, resounded with me and just how he, and how, and you know, how he was talented and how he just didn't care what people, like, you know, if you, why are you painting a pink tree? There's no pink tree. He's like, in my world, there is, it's not about what you think. It's about what I think. And I even teach my kids that like, in, as far as confidence, it's not about what someone else thinks. Whatever someone's saying is a reflection of them, mm-hmm. their thoughts. And that's not necessarily the truth. Like we said, that doesn't make it so. And so, you know, being confident to me is truly just knowing who you are and, um, you know, often people give a very unqualified opinion of you yeah. and people will take that to heart. And, you know, like with my book, of course I have, you know, there, there's someone out there that does not like my book, but I should not be putting out books if I'm not going to understand that not everybody is going to like it and everybody's got something to say. Not everything is positive. And one of my mentors taught me something a while ago too about, uh, protecting your process so mm-hmm. also it's like even with my wife some some things um now you know now we've been together for a while so that sometimes when I'm saying oh I'm gonna do this thing she knows not to like not to quit like not to question it in like of course question what I'm doing if I'm doing something that's gonna harm me but if it's like something some project or something that all of a sudden I want to do if like, of course I want to share it with her, but before I'm sharing it with people, there's a certain, like, there's a point where I have to like, kind of develop it in my own mind, take my own action. Um, you know, yeah. if, if, cause if you share it with, if you get like a negative voice sometimes too early in a process, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you do stop. Like, sure. um, so yeah, protecting the process is when you start sharing it and and then finding people who you can bounce ideas and hopefully you know yeah like she's we're a team so we definitely bounce ideas and sometimes I have to like like when she was opening the store um I'd be like well what about this and she'd be like you know I got this and I was like okay I get (laughs) it you know also and that's good that's good that you guys can do that and allow each other to have that space I'm like that with my husband like we have very you know everything is is I mean I'm out here and he's watching the baby we have a two-year-old so he's like I'm like you're on daddy duty (laughs) so you know um and then you know that's actually my favorite part of doing what I'm doing now with unsugar-coated media is just you know getting into the room and having like you know having ideas and having those conversations and spitballing and it's not easy to have a message that you want to put out into this world that you feel is so needed. And then, you know, you struggle with time management. You know, I have four kids and then I'm like, you know, I'm, there's just never a minute of my day that is not taken up or needed to do something. Mm-hmm. My to-do list never ends. Yeah. And I, th- but I think that's all of us and that's, you know, uh, well, some more than others for sure. <laughs> like, it's definitely once you have kids, it's like, yeah, every second of your day has something to do, <laughs> but you, you know, it just in general, even if you don't have kids, if you're pursuing something, if you're, you know, working, it, I mean, it's, it's just, there's always something you've got to do to meet those, you know, like mm-hmm. you got to, I used to actually work in music long before I did, you know, and I used to represent artists and it was like, know your craft, you know, and, and it's funny when you talk, that's what I was going to say earlier about talking about, like, yeah, back then it was the warehouse, you know, the, the, you were doing meet and greets at record stores and, you know, getting all that, like 
fan base built up one by one, radio play by radio play. And now you just have this immediate connection to everyone all over the world. And, you know, and then now you have this thing where everyone's trying to figure out, do I really want to talk? You know what I mean? There's, there's the follow to unfollow, all this, all this stuff that's going on. I will say I love social media. Um, my Instagram pages where I really love to connect with people. I'm not always able to keep up on it as much as I'm supposed to quote unquote, but I, I will say it's the one place I do giving what I can and sharing what I can and, you know, just building that and like, and what's that page again? I'm going to have it too, but uh, just so the people hear it. Yes. It's Alia underscore unsugarcoated. And that'll be so, in the show notes, of course, yeah. too. And, and, you know, and I'll keep it. It's been like that for quite some time. The minute I decided to truly be unsugarcoated, <laughs> you know, and then that doesn't mean I don't keep some things to myself. It's just that if I feel I need to say it, I will, you know, and I don't think, and I think somewhere along the line too, by the way, and I just have to and say, you know, politically correct has somehow become synonymous with being a jerk. And I don't understand that because it's not really what I interpret as being politically, you know, correct or incorrect. It's just, it's like, I, I, I think that there's a way to talk about stuff and um, and I just hope to, you know, have more opportunity just to to put that message out there and share more books, more stories and um, hopefully make people respect the process, too. Yeah. Um, so Unsugarcoated Media, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that's a nonprofit that I formed. Um, and we so I have a page and what we do is we invite contributors to come on. We want to put media that unifies us you know mm -hmm. I mean I, I, I'm not the only one who has this mission but that is what my mission is to do and create live events that actually bring people together and um, you know create lasting friendships and empower, truly empower I mean empower this this empower word has become such a hot word right when I was a kid we were not using empower and we knew what it was, but we didn't really have this, you know, we weren't going around empowering each other. And I know that it's kind of cliche as to use that, but actually I'm like, you know what? No, if I'm going to do an event where we're really talking about empowering people, let's really freaking empower people. So one of my guests is actually, uh, her name is Norma Bastidas. She is a uh, world record holder of the longest triathlon in history. She is one of the record holders of it. She's a female, um, originally from Mexico, a victim of human sex trafficking previously. And she just did this amazing process where she completed her triathlon. She swam in the Bay of Cancun and then biked from Cancun up into Georgia, then ran from Georgia to Washington, D.C. And it's incredible. So we're actually screening that at the event, and then we'll have her on the panel as well. But the thing that struck, out, struck me most with that documentary, and I know when people see it, is just her fight for life. Because through that process, you have to understand there are times you're like, why am I doing this? I, I, I could just go home right now. I could get in my bed. If she didn't do that. And as a cancer survivor, it really hit home with me because I went through a lot of things when you take the medication and you get the sores and you get, you know, fingernails falling off and you get all these changes that your body goes through. You're choosing, choosing to do that. You're going through this process to stay alive. You know, you're fighting for your life. In her process, I was like, she's doing this to create awareness about human sex trafficking, but she's also showing the endurance of the human spirit, how far you can go when you refuse to give up. Do you know what I mean? And uh, in my first book, there's a quote in there that's actually a true quote, uh, the strongest of us refuse to perish. And it's a, it's a quote I heard from a woman who went through the Holocaust and she happened to be a survivor and someone said, well, how did you survive it? 
it wasn't it wasn't how it's just you just survived you refused to give up and some did make it and some didn't but i mean at the end of the day it's like you just have to keep pushing forward so i'm really yeah. excited about what we're trying to share with people at this event it and and it's only 35 dollars to go for a whole day event and it's i mean this is going to be something like on that tony robbins level of like what we're trying to do but for people affordable and accessible exactly for people. <laughs> exactly but i don't need you to take out a, a loan on your you know or give up a kidney in order to attend it i just you know and that that really is intended to give people that experience and 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 base it on that. That's that's a, actually a really good idea because there's a number of um, like specifically just thinking of the podcast when you were talking about that and like I was like oh am I gonna go to this? There's like a couple of big events, but most of them are like around a thousand dollars, and it's like I'm sure I get something out of it, but I also don't believe in like if I had if money was no object, then I would maybe go to them, but. I don't know that it's worth the money for me right now. Sure. Like, um, like for me, that would be probably better used in an acting class or just, you know what I mean? There's, there's other places for it to go. And that's like the problem with, with a lot of those events yeah. is like, um, I think the problem with a lot of those events is, yeah, they should be like that are priced like thousands of dollars for people that are make like making well above that. Um, who want to go to the next level, then that makes sense. But if it's somebody who's not like who's starting a business and isn't making any money yet mm-hmm. or, or barely making any money, it's not, I don't know how worth it, it is. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, but um, we always have to look at your return on investment. Exactly. With that kind of stuff, you know, uh, but you know, they'll, they sell those things though. And some people, and I don't think you should have to, te- I've been teaching yeah. seminars for many, many years back, you know, even when I had my other business, I, I, I like teaching and I don't feel that teaching should be something that people should have to choose, you know, I mean, especially if you're willing to make the time, come down, pay the parking and all that stuff and just spend the day. Like I, I really want people to just want to have that experience and you shouldn't have to say, you know, like I said, take out a loan. It's just, it, I, I know there's a one particular, I won't say the name He's actually um, very well known within the book circuit and the whole motivational speaking. And he, I have a friend who attended one of his seminars or his closer instruction and she paid $30,000. I mean, the, the, the tickets, $30,000 to be trained for by this person. And I'm like, okay, can I just write my own self a certificate yeah. and I'll save myself the 30 K? I yeah. mean, you know, I get it that there's value, but you know, I, and I mean, there is to some degree, but I just, I, then, I can't lie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to now with no, my kids college no. looming. I'm like, no. Well, and then it's like for you, like it, you know, so this event sounds really good for most people. Cause that's the problem. I think with a lot of those seminars and things is just like the, the price tag for most people. It's not accessible for a lot of people. Um, then where I think you can, um, cause I have an acting teacher who's in that motivational world too. Um, but her acting students, it's like normal mm-hmm. class, like prices for what she's sure. teaching that. And it's like some of it's business of acting and stuff like that. But then she does corporate things too. And then, yeah, let the corporations pay like, right. Fine. Like, you know what they, I mean? They get to write that off. Hurting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like going to bankrupt individuals yeah. like on a, false promise not that it's a false promise but you know what i mean like it's a 
well, again, everything's subjective. So are you going to get out of it when maybe someone else will? And so, you know, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I'm not in it. Like I'm financially actually, you know, I, I'm hosting this event yeah. and I, I'm not necessarily expecting, it's not in, people would say, well, why are you doing it then? I mean, if I break even, that's fine because, yeah. because it really is about touching the community and like, you know, doing what the LeBrons and the Steph Curry's and the Kobe's are doing. And the, you know, the, you I truly want to make an impact on my society as best I can. I've never subscribed to the thought that I am helpless in doing something. And I encourage everyone else to think the same as well. Like you should not think that you can do nothing, that you are How helpless. How do people sign up for this event? You go to my website, unsugarcoatedmedia.com, and there's an event page, and you can buy tickets or get more information, see the speakers that we have scheduled so far. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it's like, what are we all doing in our community? We talk about the whole influencer thing, you know? I love it. Like, with the questions, really, what are you influencing? What are you trying to influence people to do? So, personally, I, the Unsugarcoated Media I was really one of the things is as a cancer patient, I became part of a community where we had these once a year events and it changed my life. Those, it's not just about what you're learning. It's also about the relationships that you're forming. So for me, I want to create live events that not just help people, but also create friendships. It's not just about me. It's about other people coming together. Yeah. So I'm excited. I think that's, it's an important, important, you know, like, um, I'm here as you know, with my best friend slash publicist and her and I met through the computer, through Facebook, through a cancer support group that was on Facebook. And I just, I reached out into the world and she reached back. She was one of the a core group of people that are still, either they've passed or are still my friends today. And I'm very, you know, so those are the things that I look to do for others. Yeah. You know? And I feel that that's what those events should be about. And yeah, I get that the money, but that's what merchandise is for. I'm like, you know, people don't, it's like, you know, but the event itself should be something that people find affordable and something that will help them in their day-to-day life. And that is something that we're doing with EmpowerCon. So, yeah, but... And then BookCon, I'm going to be, anyone who's here in New York who wants to come see me, it'll be at the Javits Center if I didn't mention that. And yeah, I'm, I'm very, the Book Expo is actually going on right now and then BookCon starts June 1st. So I will be there. Hope to see some people. And um, just ask you a couple more questions. Yes, go ahead. One, uh, so Cancer Survivor, um, you're a very positive person. Um, it's really nice. Do you think your experience with surviving cancer, do you think that made you a more positive person or where do you think you're, where do you think that comes from? You know, ironically enough, I would say that being a cancer survivor has made me a more realistic person. It's not, you know, the positive, the positivity comes from just saying, all right, um, I'm not going to get out of this alive. It is a point A to a point Z whenever that is, whenever it isn't, however it is, I, I just, I just want to focus on that right there and make it as good as I can. And, um, you know, I mean, I get that a lot positive and I'm always, it always makes me smile when I say that because I feel like, okay, I'm doing something right then. I want people to understand that. Yeah. Life sucks sometimes. Um, if anyone else cares and you know, my background, I was abandoned at 14 years old. I was homeless on the streets. I've lived a life that some people, they sit down and that's why when I say, when I wrote about my life, it was like, well, which part? Because if I sit down and write everything, they're going to be like, holy cow, how did this all happen to one person? And, and then they see me and they're like, wait, this all happened to you. And, uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, life does stink. It's not always good news. We have friends in our community that are literally looking at a terminal diagnosis. They're not going to get the happily ever after, but you know what? They have the happily ever now. Yeah. And that is what I've learned to focus on. 
you know, and I'm really, even with my kids, I'm honest, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go. And when I go, you'll miss me, but I want you to remain positive. I want you to, you know, when life knocks you down, baby, you get back up because you don't belong down there, you know? So that's kind of, I mean, it has, but I do think that life in general, I mean, just so many of the things that I went through, it was a process of just kind of becoming um, deeper and understanding, like, you know, and I did things when I was younger that I really self-evaluated in my 20s, like, why did I do that? You know, what, and fear often drove a lot of it, you know, um, but I, I will say that, like, I, in, I think life is such a, <laughs> teaches us so many lessons, like, God has a really good sense of humor would be one, <laughs> um, he or she, but the, the thing is, like, I, I just want to, I want other people to always remember that there's hope in the dark. I, I just, I've, I've been very touched when I get people who reach out and they're like, you know, I mean, I talk about it. There's one girl who went and got a tattoo of a spider on her hand from a story that I had shared. And I mean, that was so much just to know that she wanted to continue to be reminded of her own strength. It wasn't about me. It was just how that story taught her that she wanted to be stronger. So I want people to want to be stronger when we see higher suicide rates, when we see more bullying, when we see more issues, you know, it's just, um, and yet it's interesting because we're such a vocal society now. When I was growing up, you don't air your dirty laundry. You don't talk about things. Now we're talking about them. But yet we're not using that talk to actually make the change enough, you know. And I mean, in some cases we are. And that actually is one reason I stay positive. You know, after the travel ban was put on Muslims, I went down to the LAX airport and I watched people and I looked at the people holding signs. And I will say I was moved to tears to, rem to see such diversity within the crowd you know, white people coming out to support us, you know, everyone, it was, it was like, yeah. this wasn't just an attack on Muslims, this was an attack on humanity and Americans, and so I was, it, I was so disheartened when that went through, but then when I saw with my own eyes who were speaking up and, and how you, you know, people banding together, that was very powerful for me, and that gave me hope. And so, you know, I, I, because ultimately I have children who are Muslim, and they're growing up Muslim in this country, and it's weird because they're American as American can be, but they're still viewed as Muslims in this country. And so, you know, and as and I actually put a quote at the end of the book and I'll say this, like, I believe that, you know, wars are fought that don't need to be. Children die that never had to and people suffer that should have never in the first place. And uh, and and we will continue to do that until we start to look at each other as a species and not these different, you know, people. So I, I believe until we address that, we're going to continue to see that stuff. So. Yeah. Mm. I don't remember what else I was going to ask you. That that one, that was good. <laughs> um, I guess I'll, um, that was great. We could leave it there. Um, unless if there's anything else you want to talk about, but this has been, um, a pleasure sitting down and talking with you. Same, same. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you letting, you know, just letting me come out and talk and good conversation. And, you know, I, you have such an amazing personality yourself. And, and I love people who think, you know, people who think, it's funny, right? Like, not, you think, I mean, everyone thinks, of course, but I, I mean, just thinking deeper, higher, more, more pers perspective is what gives us, you know, um, a path like it, it perspective changes our path and it opens up it, it just opens it bigger I feel we all have this very perpendicular and that's what I don't like about society I'm sorry I know I'm going off but like no, no, people no. you know I don't I raise my kids to be entrepreneurs I don't raise them to be sheep in a flock and just have these blinders on and looking at one direction no there's many directions our lives can take many paths and we should you know we should embrace them and 
and even as a mother, I know my kids might not always make a choice that I agree with, but it is their choice. And at the end of the day, where I grew up in a family who, if you were a child who did not do what your parents said, you were disowned. You were immediately cut off. I don't do that. I'm like, they're my children. I, will, I won't cut them off because they don't do something that I want them to do, you know? Because I say that, and that's, you know, like even within the book, I do touch on the Islam, but I touch on it also in a different way. There are some Muslims that would say, well, why did you do that? Why did you make the little girl curse? Because little Muslim girls curse too. I'm not going to, you know, like, because I'm sorry if you want me to make it all pretty, but we're not always all pretty. We're not pretty. Yeah. That's like a big thing I have a lot with, uh, you know, we're, yeah, we're into the next presidential election right now um and there tends to be a thing (laughs) like anybody who listens to this podcast knows like I was a Bernie Sanders guy um and like the the something that just irks me is over and over again like in the media it's constantly like well black people have a problem with Bernie Sanders and it's like no they don't like specifically there are a lot of older black people who are more like Clinton Democrats. There's also black Republicans. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I don't really associate with too many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can have a conversation about that. I also don't hate them because of like, I, I, I have friends with different political beliefs. Um, there's a line there, bef- you know, where I'm not gonna, you know, entertain certain ideologies, but um, yeah, different political beliefs. Fine. But like, the idea that black people or Muslim people or any people are a monolithic group. Mm-hmm. Like that's what irks me. Cause it's like, no, there's a lot of complexities. Of course. Um, there's a lot of nuance. Of course. And that's, I think anything. what's, that's what's missing in the conversations a lot is like nuance. Yeah. Um, in the 24 hour news cycle, it's sound bites. Mm-hmm. Like it's less news than it used to be because when it was like an hour show and it wasn't, you know, they thought about what they were saying a little bit more. Right. Journalism was a different, like television journalism was a different thing. Sure. Um, And that's not, I mean, they, you know, it's a hard job and there's like a lot of different interests. So it's a complicated thing. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus either, but yeah, it makes sometimes. And also with, we were talking earlier about conversations on Facebook and online, like, nuance gets lost you know well i just think that if you have somebody who um i mean you know yeah these stereotype and labels everyone wants to put a label and if you don't you know I will say, and it's funny because Unsugarcoated Media Nonprofit can't speak on political matters. You can't take one side or the other, which I always say I don't. I'm on humanity's side. If you give me that box and I pick that, I pick that one. Um, I was raised Republican, and I didn't. I, w- I was on the. I will vote for anyone except Trump, Trump including a monkey. Uh, you know, I will say that as as Ali Alanius mm-hmm. and Sugarcoated Media, I would have voted for anything over him, and. Um, and, you know, and, so, and but, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Any Trump supporter, and I have Trump supporters that all follow me. I have them in my family. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, yeah, everyone yeah. does. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't like, that's, I'm not one of those people that is like, oh, you're a Trump supporter. Okay, I'm not associating with you. No. You know, no, I, I'm definitely not that person. Um, but I, I think that those conversations are definitely not, I think a lot of people have them on social media. And you just shouldn't. Because, again, yeah. you're missing co- key components to the conversation. And, 
you're both going back. Everyone's just trying to be right. Everyone wants to be right. And, and that's part of the problem. It's not about being right. It's about what's doing, you know, what, what, what is the most humane for our society. And, you know, I think people often forget the government, man, they don't have a, a, a source of income other than us. We're, we're their servants. We're their, we're their pocket purse. They're, we're not somebody that they're ultimately necessarily getting up every day and saying, I feel I need to take care of these people. And the only thing I would say about any leader, and I am a leader, I'm a leader within my family, I'm a leader within my community, I was a leader within my business, and I, you cannot lead when you're dividing the people you're supposed to be leading. And any leader that I want of this country, I want them to understand that. I want to go back to the days when we at least had the presumption that the leader of the country was, was trying, trying to, to foster that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it just shouldn't be you're that. Un- because we've got that mentality being furthered with the, oh, they're all in that pocket. And, that, and that's just so, that's just so last Tuesday thinking. Like we're mm-hmm. modern people, we should know better. We should know that you can have two people from the same family and they're completely different people. Like yeah. we know that now, you know, yeah. we're all, we've all got some psychology background now. We all know this, you know, but yet we just want to put everybody in a little box and, you know, throw away the key on that mentality. And I just, that's what I look to change. So I'm really, I'm, I'm glad to, you know, be a person and I, and I speak for underrepresented community as a Muslim, you know, as a person who says, no, this is happening. I don't want my kids going to school, being called a terrorist. If you don't want your kid being called, you know, whatever name at school, then, you know, like, and that's where parents should be stepping up to and, and being better role models for our kids. And how do you do that? Well, you go out there and actually get to know some people and get to have some true experience with someone before you make those assumptions and before you turn around and tell your kid, oh, well, those those people are not good people because they're this economic or they're this color or they're this religion. Like, you know, because that's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. They said, these people are not good. We must get rid of them. And the saddest part is when you look at, when you brought up the border, what I see the most, like what we're doing to the people that are coming to the border. That's a big problem for me because that is exactly what was, and you wonder why. How could the Germans just stand by? But yet I'm a person who wakes up and sees on my phone, eight-year-old dies in custody. What am yeah, the so, number, you know what I'm saying? The number I just heard is astounding, actually. Like, I mean, hundreds at anything least. above one is, yeah, is bad on our part. Because, you know, if we are, you know, even though our government is supposed to be separation of church and, and power, hello, Christians. Like, this is, you know, to anybody who believes in God, and I mean, Islam, anybody, anybody who believes in or just even in the even if you don't believe in a God and you just believe in taking care of another humanity, like, that's hypocrisy. There's like a lot exactly. of the. A lot of that administration, though, does use God in a weaponized way. But then, yeah, what about the children? It's like, oh, come yeah. on. Now. I mean, it's just, you know, so anyways, that's another podcast conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, anyway, I know we could go on. I know with you we could go on all day long. But hopefully, you know, we've been able to say some things that make a positive impact in somebody's mind today and gets them saying, hmm, you know, maybe I do want to go out and buy Ali Alanius's book, Yugen, spelled J-U-G-E-N-D. It's spelled with J. Because people, I say Jugend because that's how it's said, but Jugend is how it's spelled on the book. And you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, um, pretty much anywhere. Even you can if get they don't it, have it's it available in, in Kindle format too. Yes, ebook as well. Yep. Yes. So. Um, well, thank you for this copy. Um, I need to send you a Bushwick Variety Show yes. tank. I should have brought some today, but yeah. It's okay. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. Thank you. And have a good time at BookCon. Um, I'll be rehearsing, but uh, people, 
if you're in the area, go to the Javits Center. Um, I think this will be out. Yeah, well, you'll know what day it is, and you'll see the things online. Um, if not, and you miss me, go to my website. Mm-hmm. Definitely go check out my books and check me out as well. I'd, and if I'd you're love to in connect. LA uh, in August, go to Empower. Yes, be there, Empower be square. Con. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So that was my conversation with Ali Alanius. I had a great time talking with her. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you're in the New York City area tomorrow, Saturday, June 1st, go check out BookCon at the Javits Center. She'll be there autographing books from 1230 to 1.30. Um, that's at the Javits Center in Manhattan, New York. Um, also, if you are in the Los Angeles area, check out EmpowerCon. The links for those will be in the show notes. Um, follow her. She was awesome. I had a great time talking with her. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, sorry, I've been a little bit George R.R. R. Martin with the podcast release. Uh, I'll try to get more on it. I'm very excited, though, to be working on a production right now, an acting production at the National Black Theater. That's going to be opening next Saturday, June 8th. And this is a site-specific show called 125th and Freedom that starts at 125th and First Ave and goes all the way to the west side. That's from 12 to 5 every Saturday in June, um, starting June 8th, which is next Saturday if you're listening to this today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting. Uh, Please subscribe, share, rate, review if you enjoy it. And like I said, if you are interested in coming on the podcast, please reach out. The only caveat there is that I only do in-person interviews. So if you're in the New York area, I'd love to talk to you. Um, Also, you know, if you know I'm coming to your city for something, uh, reach out. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Do your thing. Share it with the world. And let's make something beautiful. Take care. Peace. (laughs) 